but still having the same struggles. And I'm not saying that nutrition is going to fix everything. And in the same breath, I am my own testimony in the fact that I changed my entire way of eating and I still eat McDonald's. So don't get me wrong. No longer on medications with the help of my doctor and my therapist and food. And I feel really good. I feel really good. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Wednesdays with Watson podcast, or as we have really come to call it, and we love calling it the healing zone. This podcast is fully sponsored, guys, by donors for the entirety of 2022. And we just awarded our first pro bono counseling scholarship in March. If you're interested in supporting our mission here, you can do that in a couple ways. First, you can pray for us. Pray for wisdom as we award these scholarships and create content in a post-pandemic world because we will have plenty more trauma and its friends. Second, you can subscribe, rate, review the podcast. This helps get the podcast out there to people as efficiently as possible. Now that we get all that out of the way, let's step in to the healing zone. We are in the back half of season three, Trauma, Spaces, Places, and Aces. Today, I am honored to welcome my friend Nicole Patrol to the show. Nicole and I met on advoc- advocacy stages on Clubhouse, and she comes to us today not only a survivor of trauma, but she also comes to us with one of those aces that we talk about that will help mitigate the damages of trauma, especially in childhood. I am so honored to welcome Nicole to the podcast. Welcome to the Wednesdays with Watson podcast, Nicole. Thank you, Amy. I'm so honored to be here. I always love our conversations and I'm just excited to sit down and share our story with each other because so often we're sharing um, space for other people and to actually sit down and share our stories with each other. And um, sometimes through sharing our stories, we're helping other people. So I'm very honored that you asked me to be here and I'm so excited well, to th- sit down and have this time with you. Well, thank you. I couldn't think of a better person for the subject that I wanted to cover today. But but first, we're going to start the podcast the way we have started almost the, the entire season. And it's been really interesting because people have come back to me about this question and said, that was the question that, that was the hardest for me, the very first question out of the gate that you asked me. Because, Nicole, you know, we've both been on audio stages together. And so we know you got to be short and concise. So I, I don't want to, you know, say tell us where you're from and what your favorite team is and your birth order and all that. And so I wanted to come up with a creative question that met the mission of this podcast. And that is really helping people step into who God made them. And so I wanted people to think. And so the question here to open the podcast is, what is your favorite thing about the way God made you? You know, it's funny that you say that because this is the easiest question for me. Um, And the first thing that came up automatically was my favorite thing why God made me the way that he made me, it, it was with purpose. It was an automatic answer. And I have a really interesting vision of when I was younger. I always had this vision growing up and I thought it was a dream. Um, but I was up in the clouds with somebody that just felt like a father and warm. And I was like, I want to go down there and help. This is a dream that I had over and over and over. And I haven't shared it with many people, but I said, I want to go down and help. And he said, are you sure? Because there's a lot of pain down there and there's a lot of suffering. And I was so eager and excited. I was like, yes, I want to go down and help. And so he goes, okay, you can go down and help. And so I remember being sent down and then like kind of shot back up to where I came from. And I was so confused and I felt rejected. 
And I was like, what was, what was that? And he, the fatherly voice said, well, sometimes we're not wanted there and, and it's a place of suffering. I'm like, well, I want to go help. And the same thing happened. I went down and and came right back up and I was so confused. I felt so abandoned. And this is the weirdest dream, the weirdest vision to me. And one day I shared this with my mom. I finally got sent down and, and, and stayed to the place that I wanted to help and serve. And I told my mom this and my mom expressed to me that, um, in a previous relationship, there were two terminate, um, pregnancies that were, did not survive. They were terminated. And to me, like, I don't know if it's symbolic just to me, it makes so much sense. But when you ask this question of what's your favorite thing about how God created you, it's, it's with purpose. I feel like that vision and my connection with God, I feel like I have so much purpose here. And if it just means something to me, cool. But I think it's a really cool story that I really haven't shared with many people. So I was kind of like, I wanted to share that with you. I thought it was kind of cool. A little bit cool. That is very cool. And I actually still have chills. Like when you first said it, I got chills because, you know, I, I, that is so your heart is so who I've known, who I've experienced you to be are always out there helping people. And we're going to talk more towards uh, more about that. And that is why you're here today. But um, wow, that is so cool. That is so cool. And God is using you and you do have purpose and you know that that's why you're, you're here today. So I, the chills are still not gone. I still have chill bumps. So thank you for sharing that. That is very, very awesome. And I and I do think that we have to turn our pain into purpose because it would be wasted otherwise. And so I do want to say, as I say to all of my guests, I, I don't know your story. I'm getting ready to find parts of it out. But as a trauma survivor myself, I'm sorry, so, so sorry for your pain. But I am so proud of you. And I find myself getting very preachy and big sisterly on these podcast interviews these days because the the listeners can't see what I can see. But there are probably 30 years between you and me. Well, maybe not quite 30, but a lot of years between you and me. We are a different generation. I am Gen X. I'm guessing you're probably a millennial. But to have that kind of wisdom at such a young age is is, is incredible. Well, let's jump right in. One of the things that I am asking guests to do, and I am so grateful that everyone has agreed to do this, because what I'm about to do is not easy. But we have been teaching in this back half of the season about adverse childhood experiences. And so when I'm when when I have guests, I asked you ahead of time, if you would be willing to answer these questions, fully knowing that this podcast is going to be out there forever, and your friends and your family are going to listen to it. And you said, Yeah, I'm willing to answer those questions. And so what I'm going to do is I just need a yes, no, really quickly. Um, and because what I want my listeners to understand is the authority of what you bring to this podcast today and, um, and trauma gives us that authority to talk about it. And so these are the basic 10 wildly accepted adverse childhood experiences in the psych- in psychology that if you, if you have three or more of these, you, you are considered to have had toxic stress and stress is something that you and I talk about a lot. We both will disappear off of social media. If I don't get a text message from you or you don't get one from me, you know, we both went to shut down protect mode because we had these experiences. And so let's run through those really quickly because I want people to understand the authority of what you bring to us today. 
So before your 18th birthday, did you experience, and, and you can just say yes or no for me, any of these things? And so the first one is, did you experience in your home before your 18th birthday? And it doesn't need to be in your home, even though we're focusing on the home, but especially if this were true in your home, but verbal abuse. Well, I suppose if we're talking outside of our home, definitely. Okay. Physical abuse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. How about physical neglect? Absolutely. And we're going to be talking about that a lot today. Was there mental yeah. was there men- mental illness present in your home? There was. Substance abuse present in your home? Um, depends on perspective, but I would say, you know, probably yes. Yeah, because things like food, cigarettes, drugs, people, codependency, alcohol, all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have an incarcerated relative? No, but my father was not there. My my father um, took his own life when I was three. So it, he wasn't incarcerated, but he also was not in my life. So I think that's relevant. A little bit. You just stopped me in the tracks on that because he kind of was incarcerated in his own hell, right? Mm. I'm so, yeah. I am so sorry to hear that. I did not know that well. How about domestic violence? Yes. How about emotional abuse? Um, yeah, not in my home, but in a relationship outside of my home before 18, yes. And emotional neglect? Yep. Okay. How about sexual abuse? None that I can recall. And that's an important disclaimer that you just gave us. None that you can recall. Yes, it is. That is, And, and that's a whole other podcast because uh, we... We often, actually, maybe not. We'll probably get there a little bit today. Well, here's the deal. Obviously, you have a, a score higher than three. Therefore, all of the professionals out there would tell you that you w- would be subject as an adult to toxic stress, which causes all kinds of havoc on our bodies. We are in a series of childhood trauma. Uh, one of the biggest is neglect. And you mentioned to me, that you had neglect. And I can imagine, and you can talk a little bit more about this if you want, that some of that neglect came by pure nature of your father completed suicide and your mom probably was just trying to do everything she could to survive. And therefore, I'm sure that may or may not be where the neglect came from. I don't want, I don't want to assume that I'm going to, I'm going to finish the question. And I often say most of my guests are smart enough to answer these multi- multi-layered questions and so so as I mentioned we're in a series of childhood trauma one of the biggest is neglect I have asked you here today though because of not only because of that ACE score that you just told us about but because one of my favorite things about you is that you have a passion for health both mental and physical and we're going to discuss all kinds of things like food insecurities and how it affects the developing brain and give hope to those out there who experienced food security uh, insecurities or neglect food food was withheld from them that was my story or not provided so my first question is to you why why is this your passion helping people for free i might add most of the time for in nutrition both and, and then also your your instagram handle which i just love is at well nurtured souls tell us why this is your passion Clearly, you've been through some stuff. Tell us why this is your passion. 
Yeah. I mean, serving other people has always been my passion. I, I just feel like that's part of my nature, but nutrition wasn't actually always my passion at first. I actually didn't know a lot about nutrition, um, but growing up, I didn't have the easiest upbringing, you know, and I don't, I like to take myself out of the victim mindset, but sometimes I do have to acknowledge where I did come from. Um, like I said earlier, my my dad took his own life when I was three, and then my mom raised me and my brother alone. Um, therefore, with with no fault from our caregivers, they're they're surviving. How can they um, give us something that they don't have for themselves? But there was a lot of like emotional needs that weren't met, or physical needs that might not have been met, and food was definitely one of them. But as a young kid, this is all. This is really confusing growing up because it's your normal. It's the only thing that you know, going to school hungry, um, being in class hungry, not having a lunch to eat. I mean, it, it, you don't know any different because that's your normal. And I started to have a lot of emotional regulation challenges. Um, I was diagnosed with anxiety, depression, later bipolar and borderline personality. It's a nice little wow. um, mix of ingredients there. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And I think here's a good place to talk about some of the scientific and, and, and the listeners of my podcast know that I have, I have a degree in, in, in pre-med and I love to, to geek out on the science of it. But your passion is your passion for the same reason my passion is my passion is because I don't want I don't want it replicated out there in the world, right? Like, you know, I I remember literally being handed a a can of dog food with the lid still up with a with a with a spoon in it and handed it to me and that was what we ate. But one I'm of so the, sorry, that's horrendous. It, it is horrendous and and when I look back now, I wonder how I made it out alive, right? Because like, if you go to eating health, there's an organization called Eating Healthy Research, and they talked about like just the caloric necessities of children. And they range everywhere from, you know, when you're zero to three, to like 1200. And then when you're a teenager to 1700. And when you're not getting that like you and like me, there's certain things that don't happen. The same organization, Healthy Research talked about the things that that children need. And it's, it's not dog food, obviously. And it's not junk food, which we so often give our kids, especially in situations like yours, where your mom was just doing what she she knew to do. She was doing the best she could. And there are many people under the sound of my voice that probably grew up on McDonald's or other things. But but in order for our brains and, and we're and, and we use fancy terms like neuroplasticity, which helps us handled this anxiety. So this so this segue into you were then diagnosed with all of these things makes sense to me because from a scientific standpoint, when we don't get that nutrition at zero to five, and so your dad completed suicide at three years old, you may be like me and wonder what the heck happened after that, especially up until five, five years old. And so we know that lots of brain development doesn't happen when we don't have that nutrition. And that is when we get that truncated window of tolerance that we've talked about so often on this podcast. Again, that, that, that window of tolerance, if you think of it like a, a gutter when you're bowling, you know how they put up the ones for the kids. Well, pretend that's, that's not there and you bowl and the ball goes in the gutter because some outside pressure, either you threw it wonky or something happened, it pushes it into the gutter. Well, these traumas at such an early age, 
pushes our what we call our window of tolerance, which is our ability to handle trauma or or ability to handle life in general, it makes it very, very narrow. So something very simple can push you into an anxiety attack and all of those things that you just talked about. And so I'm not surprised that that you got diagnosed with those at that 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 age. The other the other concept too you have to think is happening in homes like yours and mine is hydration, right? Water, just straight mm-hmm. up water. And water is so important for us now, which you are my my accountability buddy on that just from your Instagram feed as an adult. I got, <laughs> I, I got it. The listeners can't see me, but I got this, this big old thing of water sitting next to me because water, yes. because water cushions our brain. It, so it, 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 it also lubricates it for lack of a better word, especially from that zero to five. And so it doesn't surprise me that you were diagnosed with those disorders at such a at such a young age. And so for listeners out there, if you and I have Nicole, a plethora of listeners. So I have parents who have adopted children who have trauma. I have trauma survivors who are adults and have uh, eating disorders. I am one of those people. We, you know, all I have the gamut. I have people that don't want to traumatize their kids or want to know how to do better. And the episode coming after you is going to be a, a very cool way to connect with our kids as it pertains to food. And so, um, and so water is another thing. And so when we think of these basic things, I was telling you earlier about this, this study called the Perry. So it's P-E-R-R-Y preschool study. And they've been following these kids that were in marginalized communities. Now, both of us are, are, are not people of color. We would not necessarily be considered a marginalized community, but it sounds like both of us grew up very poor with with all the simple sugars when we got food and you know like I said the definitely a lack of resources I would say yeah maybe that's a better way to put it and so they took these kids that had these lack of resources and they they put them in this preschool program and they followed them so the youngest now is 52 years old and the oldest is 56 years old and not only did they provide them with the educational resources that the control group did not get those kids got two meals a day of all the things, and you're going to tell us later what kids need, but of all the things that kids need for their brain development. And they followed those kids against a control group for 56 years now. Now, this was all about money, unfortunately, but it still got a very interesting outcome because the kids that they put into this this preschool program where they were getting at least two out of three meals a day and then educated year-round were exponentially better off than the control group in the same community with the same lack of resources. And to the tune of a return on investment for every dollar that they spent in that program, those kids grew up to have careers that that they turned back into society to a seven to one ratio. So for every dollar that was spent to get them to where they needed to be and their brain to develop properly and that such an early age from zero to five, they were able to give back to the community at a seven to one. Isn't that cool? Wow, isn't that so amazing? But it's, I'm not even surprised about that, even though those are amazing numbers and chances. Um, you know, and, and we look a lot at the pieces, you know, what are the missing pieces with our society or our kids? And I think that just proves one of those missing pieces that's so important and we know it's such an important thing 
is really just nurturing them, nurturing their body and nurturing their brain, because it shows that when we nurture a child's body and their brain or an adult's, uh, they they strive more socially and they strive more academically and they sh- will strive more um, in their career and and emotionally and just it, it it's not the answer nutrition isn't not the only answer but it's a really big puzzle piece out of this whole equation yeah and especially if we want them because no matter what you know, parents are going to screw up their kids in some ways. You know what I'm saying? Not not necessarily traumatically, but 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 they're, we're going to screw them up somehow. And so if I, we, I even do at times, I'm sure. I'm yeah, that was going to be my next question to you. You have children, right? Mm-hmm. I have three kids. You have three kids, and I love following. I'm not sure which one of your three kids. When 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 you guys are playing hockey, you're like, I'm dead right now. I'm <laughs> I'm just dead. But but <laughs> but 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 you talk about, and and this is a, a nice segue into asking you to talk to our listeners about what you do for your own kids, because I, 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 I laugh so hard when you go to these hockey tournaments, because we've all had family members who are in clubs, something right. And, and it's like you're sitting at those tournaments, just wishing they'd lose so you can go home. But but you actually, <laughs> but you actually, you right actually, you, you talk to us on Instagram, especially about those times, because ideally, so let's start with the ideal nutrition of children in your mind based on your research, and you have done some formal training with this and you've got some some programs we're going to talk about at the end and so here's where as a survivor of trauma and as a survivor of as somebody that like myself who did not get nurtured as a child we did okay but because we did the hard work right maybe neither of us would suffer from some of the things that we still suffer from because I don't know about you but my anxiety and the things that happen as a result of my childhood with nutrition being in play didn't go away right and so I, I always wonder how much better I would be had I been taken care of. Well, you have three children. And when you go on those hockey tournaments, you post like, we still take snacks. And then occasionally, like I think I might have seen once, uh, I, I gave in and we just ate at McDonald's. And and parents out there, I understand Happy Meals make them happy and all that. And this is not a knock against fast food or any of those things. This is to talk to you guys about the importance of nutrition and the child's brain, regardless of whether trauma is present or not, because one day they are going to have trauma. And if we can have that window of tolerance as wide as possible, because we have nurtured them. And Nicole, not only with food, but just, and, and listeners can't hear me, but just hugging them. And, you know, like I, I didn't get that as a child. And there are parts of my brain not developed because of that. But talk to us about what you recommend to parents for nutrition to set them up the best we possibly can in life. Okay, let me start with I love myself a good spicy chicken McDonald's sandwich. There's no shame in that. And and I think it's healthy to have a balance and to let yourself have a treat every once in a while. But that's my little pleasure. And I'm not going to call it a guilty pleasure because I don't feel guilty for it. Um, it's really interesting being a mom because my first child that I had, I got pregnant at 14. And now that kiddo that's in hockey is 14 themselves. So that's a little bit wild. And it's been really interesting to watch their journey growing up um, because as a teenager, uh, raising a child, I only knew what I knew based off of what I've been shown. And all children are different. And my oldest is a lot different than the younger two. 
in the way of um, where my oldest and I are kind of healing together, if that makes sense. And not just nutritionally, but we make a big point out of that, obviously, but also our social skills and, um, you know, identifying our feelings, why we're feeling that way, affirming um, our kids. And, you know, because there's that whole self-fulfilling prophecy thing too. And I think affirming our children is so incredibly important. So my, my journey as being a mother going through this whole wellness journey has been very interesting because I have been on both polar sides of parenting, of being a teen parent, um, just surviving, mm-hmm. purely surviving, just like my mom was, um, and definitely missing some of my kiddos' needs. Like you said, the, the physical nurturing and being there because I was so busy working and trying to financially provide. Now being on the other side of that spectrum and pouring so much into um, my kids, all three of them. So I have a six, seven and a 14 year old and just pouring so much nutritionally into them and awareness and affirmations. And it's truly interesting to see, you know, by nature, they're different. They are. Um, but my 14 year old has had a much different upbringing than my younger two. And it's very interesting to see how their academics have, um, been different and unique and how their social life has been different and unique. And I think there's some sort of radical acceptance of even if we've gotten to a certain point in parenting where we go, oh man, like I screwed up. I could have done so much more different. There's some sort of radical acceptance of we did the best that we knew how. And when we know better, we'll do better. And we'll give ourselves grace because we want our kids to be able to give themselves grace too. So going into the nutrition, I like to keep it very simple. Nutrition can be very complicated. And I think that's a lot of the reason why people kind of get scared off or step away from nutrition or like, oh, there's so much information. But when it really comes down to it, it, it's, you know, about six, five really basic things is what are they eating for breakfast? You know, whole grains and protein is so incredibly important for regulating our mood. It regulates our blood sugar. The whole grains and the protein regulate our blood sugar and our blood sugar can regulate our moods. And being diagnosed with bipolar, I'm like, was I really um, bipolar or was I having these wild blood sugar swings with a lack of social skills developed? Um, did that manifest into bipolar? I don't know. God only knows. I that don't is, that answer. That is, I don't want to interrupt you. I did interrupt you. That is so huge. That's okay. That is so huge, which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Because even if you had bipolar disorder, would nutrition help it? We know it will. I'm sorry. Okay. So you're on, that was one, one point. I'm sorry. That, that correlation, no, that correlation cannot be ignored. No, it can't. It cannot be ignored. And, and so I just want people to under, to hear you when you say that. Okay, go ahead. Well, you know, even just on the bipolar um, topic and me being diagnosed with bipolar, um, I went to therapy, I went to doctors, I went to treatment centers, you know, I had thankfully unsuccessful suicide attempts and, and there was always like a piece missing, you know, the medications and this, and I was still feeling are still having the same struggles. And I'm not saying that nutrition is going to fix any everything. 
And in the same breath, I am my own testimony in the fact that I changed my entire way of eating and I still eat McDonald's. So don't get me wrong. I, I changed my whole mindset and the way that I eat. And I'm no longer on medications with the help of my doctor and my therapist and food. And I feel really good. I feel really good. And a lot of that, a lot of that is about breakfast. And if, if you're not feeling up to cooking a breakfast with toast and eggs and blah, 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 we've even talked, uh, just grab a protein shake. I, I drank a protein shake this morning because sometimes having breakfast in the morning is a struggle, especially if you have mental health challenges, it's really a struggle to get that breakfast. So if you can imagine how important that is as, as an adult, it is so incredibly important for a kid. Um, but to keep it simple, it's, it's about our breakfast. It's about the, the fat that the kids are eating. Um, take away the hydrogenated oils. Take away the fake fats. You know, that's clogging up their brain. That's not allowing their brain to be elastic and flexible. We need to be having, um, you know, unsaturated and saturated fats like we just go to olive oil, keep it simple. It sounds complicated, but you know, I just go for the olive oil or the avocado oil fiber because our gut health is so incredibly important. We know that our gut health has a lot to do with our mental health. So feeding that good bacteria in our gut with fiber, probiotics, prebiotics, just the good foods, whole grains, drinking water. I mean, I don't know if it sounds too complicated, but it's pretty simple. Fats, protein, fiber, whole grains, water. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I don't get obsessed over counting it. I just make sure that I leave it around the house. I leave it around the house so the kids can grab their fruit. The kids can grab their whole grain bagels. The kids can grab their water. And, and because I'm tired, yeah. <laughs> we yeah, do yeah. a lot of hockey. Yeah, we do a lot of hockey and we do. I'm just a tired mom, to be honest. It doesn't have to be complicated, but when we leave these nutritious foods around the house, which a lot of times you can find um, for it within budget, especially if you go to a place, I like to go to Aldi's, you don't have to buy all the organic stuff and the wild stuff. It's just making sure that the kids have access right. to the food. And even if you don't have the energy to cook it, they have access to the food. And I think that's so important that, that they have access to it, right? Because neither one of us did. And we, no, both, we didn't. And, and we're both, I, I both still, I, I tell people all the time, I wake up in the basement. I don't wake up on sea level. There's lots of things I have to do to get to normal baseline, right? And I know that that is because as a child, I did not get the, these things that you're talking about. You, you said something there that I think is interesting about fats and about the, the stretchiness, I think was the word you used, which is a much easier word to understand than the word I'm getting ready to use of our of, of our brains of our neuroplasticity and the reason neuroplasticity is just a fancy word for being able to retrain your your brain especially when trauma is present and so if we have set them up to have a stretchy brain by making sure that they have these foods and especially fats and and stay away from the the incredibly saturated fats which are just fillers and waste of of everything things like red dye too by the way 
mm-hmm. lo- lots of red dye is is very highly coordinated correlated excuse me with diagnoses of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and things of that nature and so but you but so you said that i th- i think that's important so those five things listeners making sure that 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 is getting into your children in whatever way you can and and as young as you can right we, we, we create these habits and they're eating habits for them when they are very young. My cousin has twins and I was up there when they were five months old. I went up to, they live in Canada and I went up to see them for spring break for, and I'm literally air quoting when I say this vacation, cause that was not a vacation. Oh my word. If you've ever been around twins, one cries, one goes asleep and it's a nightmare. But she, and then as they got into toddler age, she would literally like cook up some asparagus, put some, cut up some cheese, put some crackers, have some hummus, and she would put it on a charcuterie board and put it on on the on the armoire in the kitchen. And they would run up and grab a piece of asparagus and dip it in the hummus and put it in their mouths. Well, they just they just killed like all five of what you just talked about just by hummus, asparagus, nuts, that kinds of stuff. And so. So what we don't want to do, and I know your heart, Nicole, is that we don't want people to think, I can't do that. I also don't want you to think that if you're not doing it, you haven't done it, that you've screwed up your kids forever, because that clearly is not true. I cannot remember, and maybe you know, Nicole, the proverb, let your food be your medicine. And so this season of, of the Wednesdays with Watson podcast is all about is, is never too late to heal. So those five things, will you, will you mention those for us one more time, the five things to make sure we're getting into our kids? Yes, absolutely. Um, So whole grains and fiber, protein, fats, and water. Those are the basics. And would you, and water, I think, is it, isn't there a rule of thumb, um, half your body weight is what you should be drinking in water? Yes. Same with protein. So you should be taking your body weight, dividing it by two, and that's how many ounces that doctors usually recommend for um, your water intake for the day. Wow, I did not know that about the protein. That is really interesting. Okay, so parents, if your child well, is... Go ahead, I'm sorry. The, pro- the protein is a little bit different for kids. So for adults, you are supposed to take your weight, divide it by two, um, and that's how many grams of protein doctors recommend you to have a day. But for kids, a lot of doctors recommend that kids have one gram per body weight. So if my little one weighs 50 pounds, um, ideally he should be getting 50 grams of protein every day because they're growing. Yeah. You're dropping some gems on us. Yeah. Because protein helps muscle development. And we're going to put all of this in the show notes. If you're on a walk or in your car, I don't want you wrecking trying to write this down. I will put this information in the show notes because that's super valuable. So half their body weight and and water and then protein is double basically, right? Their um, body weight. Did I understand you correctly on that? One one gram per pound. One, one gram per so pound. If they're I'm sorry. Fi- fifty pounds, they ideally should have fifty grams of protein a day. Okay, and then if they're seventy pounds, they should have seventy grams of protein a day, gotcha. ideally. Gotcha. And then norm, and then obviously leafy vegetables and all the things. And 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 again, this is all helping with brain health. You're setting them up to have a expanded window of tolerance. You're you're setting them up to not be like me. And I can only talk about me because I know my issues. And Nicole, you have been a really good friend to me in this regard, because you have taken your experience of not having not having the nutrition that you needed as a child, 
combined with an ACE score, I think I counted seven or eight, which is very, very high, and then got pregnant at 14. And I'm so grateful that you chose to carry that precious child. Mm -hmm. And I know that you are growing up together. And I do think Mm -hmm. I do think it's interesting to note here that while children are different inherently, that we can see a difference in your oldest based on all the dynamics, because you were just doing the best you can with what you had. And you were young, you were just a child yourself, our brains aren't completely developed until 25. And you're barely barely older than 25 yourself, Nicole. But I do believe you're I do believe you're an old soul. And but but I think it's really important that we highlight there that there is a difference between your oldest who did not necessarily get the nutrition and the nurturing that your six and seven year old got and they're all cute. And y'all got to follow follow Nicole on on Instagram. They are cute. They do have different genetics. I mean, obviously, they share different my dads, genetics. Right. They do have different dads. But I think there's a lot to say as far as how a child is nurtured, how how many affirmations they're given, how many cuddles they're given, um, if they have, you know, decent clothes to wear to school and their confidence and the food and the access and, and just having safety and knowing that like, this is our home, this is our family, I'm safe here. Um, It makes a big difference with them. You know, it's almost like with my oldest and me too, we have our genetics, but then there's certain keys that turn those genetics. So maybe a lack of security and housing turns another key or like um, physical neglect turns another key. And those, those all end up somewhere building up into something bigger, you know? And so my oldest has had their struggles and, and they're pretty open. They've been diagnosed with autism and whatnot. And I think there's something beautiful in just having that radical acceptance of this is who we are. This is who I am. This is my experience. And um, I get to create my own reality now because I'm being given the resources and the education and the tools and the support that I need now. You know. And that's the hope that we talk about on this podcast all the time is that it, it's never too late to heal. And that and that tagline just came to me a couple of days ago as we introduced this new series. It's never too late to heal. And obviously, you were able to intervene and your old is pretty early, but it's never too late to heal. But part of uh, and I'm speaking now to adult survivors of trauma who were not nourished and we are we are focusing on nutrition here, but because it's Nicole who is a friend of mine, and I and I just feel so safe in this environment. I think too that one of the things that we both have hit on is just that that importance of physical touch and hugs and all of that. And so I always wondered, Nicole, like, yeah, I'm fairly intelligent. I've got a decent IQ. I did well in school. All, things that my counselor says shouldn't be able to happen. With with the exception of the PTSD diagnosis, I was not diagnosed with some of the higher acuity things. And I often wondered, like, knowing what my mom did later abandoned me. And so, like, I'm thinking now as an adult, who potty trained me, who fed me, who did all of these things, right? And because she abandoned me and most of my family is is are gone there are not a whole lot of pictures floating around of me as a child, period. I had one of me as a 20, my first Christmas when I was 24 days old, and it was only my profile and you really couldn't see anything. And so I wondered, I've wondered, and especially going into this series, like, how, 
who fed me? Who who did who who took care of me? Because I clearly my brain got formed somehow, even though I have PTSD and anxiety and all of that. And I and and I wasn't well nourished, and I still have health conditions related to that. And we're talking mental health here. But um, anyway, so to make a very long story short, my dad's side of the family, somebody in his family had a picture from when I was only nine months old, and my sister was three years old. And Nicole, when I tell you that I am the chubbiest of the chubbiest of all the chubby babies in the world, I, it was, <laughs> but I, but it was so cathartic for me because it helped me fill in some missing pieces. Like, okay, well, clearly, when I was that young, somebody was feeding me, and then there was a time, and I remember that time. It was around the time of four or five where we were given, we were locked in rooms and and fed stuff that humans shouldn't eat or not eat at all. So it mm-hmm. it clearly was my dad who died around the time that all that started to happen that was taking care of me. And so it so encouraged me because I looked at the picture and I saw that chubby little girl and my sister who is holding me barely can hold me because I mean, I'm, you know, she she to this day is four inches tall shorter than I am. We have different dads. And so um, she's holding me and I'm I have a smile on my face and I'm looking in the eyes of that baby and I'm saying, I'm going to take care of you as an adult. And it was such a moment for me because, and here's my question for you. That was a long build up to the question. You know this because one of the reasons why you're so precious to me is because I shared even more details about my own eating struggles as an adult as a result of my childhood and as a result of something that we haven't really discussed a whole lot, I know that you're big on with your kids. It's calming down our nervous system so that we can get out of fight or flight and into rest and digest. And so one day you and I were just texting each other and you asked me how I was doing, as you often do. And I just said, you know what? I'm really struggling. I can't eat. I feel like I just ate Thanksgiving dinner. That mm-hmm. I weigh, I'm 10 pounds underweight, you know, blah, 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 blah. I just started talking to you. You said, um something to the effect with can you get anything into your body and I and I was I was literally laying in bed at like four o'clock in the afternoon and I said back to you I have these protein shakes in the refrigerator but they're full of preservatives I know they're not good for me because they sit in the sun before they go in my refrigerator but they're 530 calories and I guess I could get up and get one of those and you messaged me back and you said those protein shakes are like love notes to your body Mm-hmm. And that now every time I drink one of those, I think of that like I am reading a book by John Eldridge, and he talked about the verse in the Bible that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, if many of us are being honest, if we love our neighbors like we love ourselves, we aren't very good neighbors. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so let that <laughs> breathe just for a second. And so when you said that to me, it was like, I have got to value myself. And so my, my question is to you and your work that you're doing now, do you experience people like me where you're, you're finding the need to maybe even go out and curate a eating program for those of us who have no context of what it means to have a healthy relationship with food? And because I'm on the other end of the spectrum where I just don't eat. Do you have any any thoughts for my listeners out there who might be like me? And this goes both ways because obesity is a thing too, right? We eat the wrong foods when we have trauma. And so I would say for those of us who have a poor relationship with, with food as a result of our childhoods, clearly you have done the hard work and put in the hard work. Can you share with us how we can get to where you are? Um, and I'm not, And I know you're not perfect. 
but clearly you have figured this out. Can you help? Can you give me and my listeners some hope about our relationship with food and the presence of all this trauma that we've been through? Yeah, I thank you for sharing that because I resonate a lot with what you were saying. There's, there's something that we don't really talk about. Um, and, and I only have the education that I have, so I can't give you the whole logistics of why this happens, but I've definitely experienced that of being so stressed and not being hungry and not having like the will to thrive. And I don't know if it's been conditioned as a kid, just not having food. And so it's just the normal, but I definitely relate to that. Of You know, it, it, it's six o'clock and you're like, holy buckets, I haven't eaten a darn thing all day. You know, how many, yeah. or how many days have I gone without eating? And not even that it's always intentional, but it definitely has happened. That's something that I've experienced. And um, it affects us, you know, because then it, it kind of can become this cycle and this spiral. Of now we're feeling worse because we're not eating and now we're, we're not eating because we're feeling worse. And, you know, self-care was a really big buzzword for a while um, and, and still kind of is. But I kind of look at self-care as just making the effort to meet my basic needs and even though I've done the work to be where I'm at, it's still a daily practice to meet my basic needs. Like today, reaching for that protein drink to make sure that I had nutrition in my body, um, that I was taking care of my body this morning because I was just tired. I was so tired. And sometimes that's what it looks like. So I would say the first thing to start with, with anybody, and this is where I started, is just having grace with ourselves. You know, we're not going to go from zero to 10 overnight. They're the, they're the very, very little, very micro baby steps that we're taking, whether it's a protein shake in the morning or having beef jerky or snacks around our house sitting on the counter. So we fit, we see it. If we see it, sometimes we'll eat it. Sometimes that's just the reality of what we live in when we've grown up in trauma is that if if we don't see it, we're not thinking about it, and yeah. then we, we don't eat for two days. And, and I think that's something realistic. And that is something that you told me to do, and I do. Um, I have a bowl of, um, on my counter, little you know, the little Snickers bars. I, I have them, and, and yeah, I will. I'll just mindlessly go by and grab them, and I've, and I've gotten some protein and, you know, and whatever else is good about Snickers I've gotten. And so, so I think the point there is such a good one, but there, but there are people like you out there doing good work in the world. And I wouldn't, I would not, I would not be surprised as we end towards the end of the podcast. And I want you to tell us about your, your mission and how we can follow you. And, and I I believe you have a course available right now, but I also could see you, Nicole, curating a program for adult survivors of trauma and nutrition, whereby for me, it's accountability. You're one of those people that will randomly just text me and ask me how I'm doing. But I, but I think that, that it's people like you doing work like you do that is going to keep people like me going, adult survivors who had not even had any context for a relationship with food as a young child. And so for listeners out there, this is the opportunity I wanted to give Nicole to tell us a little bit about Well-Nurtured Souls and your organization and your program, where people can find you and all the things. I think education is a great way to start. And that's why I put together um, my Nutrition 101 class. And it's really basic. It goes 
over the fiber, protein, fat, water, um, the very basic things without making it too complicated. It, it explains nutrition and how it ties to your mental health in the terms of explaining it like you would a six-year-old, because I strongly believe that, you know, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, maybe we shouldn't be explaining it, but it, mm. it, it doesn't need to be complicated all the time, you know? So I have, I have that course that I do offer and it's online. It's self-paced. Life gets busy sometimes. Um, and I'm on, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, um, at well-nurtured souls. So it's W E L L dot nurtured dot souls. And you can find me all over on there. But like you said, sometimes we step away and just protect our peace a little bit. Um, so there's that. And I try to make that, you know, very, um, accessible to people. I don't like to charge hundreds of dollars for a course that I feel like should be taught in schools. I, I wish this was taught in schools and that's one of my goals is to get it taught to all parents and all schools. But then sometimes we need a little bit extra motivation, a little bit extra accountability. So I do a one-on-one coaching too, where I meet with clients once a week and we talk about more of like what's going on in their life, what works for them, what makes sense for them, because what makes sense for me might not make sense for them. We're all so completely different. Um, and how can we make those little baby steps and just make it simple? Um, like it might look different for everybody, but just having, I have a fruit basket out and that's what makes sense for me and my family because we're busy and I know my kids have access to food. Then some people love to cook with their family. Uh, I, you know, I'm a nutrition coach, but I don't love spending hours in the kitchen every single day. I'm going to be honest, but if that's what my client loves to do, we're going to sit down and we can talk about it and how, how we can make that work for them and maybe like change the fats that they're using or change the grains that they're using. So I would say, start with a very basic education, just start asking questions, seeking answers and, and little tiny micro shifts can make huge changes, absolutely huge changes in our life. Um, and just have grace with yourself. You know, one thing that I do, that's really funny um, when it comes to eating and nutrition, because sometimes it's, challenging with mental health challenges is I literally set alarms for myself. So if I'm working with the clients and they're having a hard time remembering to even eat, maybe it's just setting alarms on your phone or setting alarms on your Alexa um, that says, Hey, Nicole, it's noon. It's time to eat lunch. As silly as that sounds, that's my reality as a nutrition coach. And that's, that's what works for me. So educating ourselves on what we can use to fuel our body and fuel our mental health and our mind and our soul, and then surrounding ourselves with support, whether it's you and I, whether it's a coach, whether it's um, a spiritual leader, a church leader, a parent, a sibling, a friend, a counselor, those yeah. I love going to therapy. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And so you just, I don't know that you've ever listened to an episode of my podcast, but you just hit on something that we talk about, which are the three C's, which are community, church, counseling. I am going to provide all the ways that you can connect with Nicole in the show notes. I did not know that you do that one-on-one uh, uh coaching. I, I probably would be headed over there myself to find out more about that. But we have really dived deeply in 
to trauma and the developing brain. And then even Nicole has given us some bonus content here with how even as an adult, obviously nutrition is super important, but particularly in the presence of trauma, because even as an adult, guys, we can expand that window of tolerance. And I never even thought about the di- the, the possible correlation and maybe even misdiagnoses with with lack of nutrition and diagnosis like bipolar disorder because of something simple like blood sugar. And so this has been so informative to me, but also as a trauma survivor, someone who has turned your pain, turning, I should say, your pain into purpose with three beautiful children married to a law enforcement officer, which is a feat in itself. Most people would be eating, you know, their weight and calories just because of that alone. And so I wanted to thank you for that sacrifice too. And so, all right, well, Nicole, any parting words for our listeners as we end the podcast today? No, I just want to thank you. And, and, you know, a lot of times we feel like we have to make these huge uh, macro shifts and that's really not where change comes from. Change comes from the tiny little shifts that we make. Um, Those little consistent things that we do, whether it's just making sure that we drink one more glass of water a day or we eat breakfast four days out of the week. Um, don't get too caught up in, you know, this wellness stuff is very trendy right now. And there's yeah. a lot of pressure on social media to like do it perfect. You know, my, they have a lot of like my daily routine. I eat this every morning. I work out this much every day. I do this. And don't feel like you have to measure yourself to that. You're on your own journey. Um, we're all on our own journey and, and just have grace with yourself because you're so worthy of where, where you're at. Um, and it's such a unique process that we shouldn't be measuring to any anybody yeah. except for ourselves yesterday. Oh, love it. And we talk we talk about that too, not comparing our stories, not comparing our trauma. Well, thank you again for being on the podcast. And Nicole, I am going to proclaim over you the same thing I proclaim over everybody. And I know that you believe this, but when your faith is hard to find, sometimes you need to borrow mine. And so I want you to know that what we have done here today has solidified the message of my heart and the message of this podcast, which is something that I end every single podcast with as Phil Baker's song plays us out of the podcast. I declare this over Nicole and I declare it over everyone else. Guys, you are seen, you are known, you are heard, you are loved, and you are valued. Value yourself enough today to take care of yourself nutritionally. We will be back here in two weeks with Chef Kibby with a very cool way that he connects with his foster kids in the kitchen. And so you're not going to want to miss that. Make sure you're subscribed. Thank you so much for joining the Wednesdays with Watson podcast. And until we come back here, I will see you again two weeks in the healing zone. Let my life glorify you and teach me to what we serve.